Hi friends, it's your girl Harpo. Welcome to this episode of Brown Girl Guilt titled Reverse Parenting. Now, you might hear this episode and think, oh my God, this is actually my life. Like, wow, like I had no idea that this is an actual thing. Like all that I've been experiencing, the, my family structure, the way that my family is set up, I can't believe that there's an actual concept and term for it. And there's studies that have sort of explored this and that there's an entire concept and term and that also like other people also experience this, that I'm not alone. And you know what? You're not alone. Reverse parenting, parentification is such a true thing. It's such a true experience that so many people across the world in various different cultures experience. And, you know, I've told this story a few times before that Brown Girl Guilt, before it started, was an Instagram post that I made in 2018 or 2019 where I just typed out the words Brown Girl Guilt and I put it on an Instagram, uh, as a, on Instagram as a feed post and it went really viral. But what I've never shared is that there was also another post that did almost as well as Brown Girl Guilt and it was the post reverse parenting. So all I did was I typed out the words reverse parenting on a Canva, you know, um, template I downloaded it and I posted it to Instagram and I sort of defined what reverse parenting is. And reverse parenting was something that so many people connected with. And I, again, took that and put it into my back pocket. And I thought to myself, one day I want to talk about reverse parenting, sort of break it down and really talk about it in a meaningful way so that we can explore what it is. Yes. But then also learn how to like really navigate it and then let it go. So you might be still thinking like, I don't understand what reverse parenting is. I don't know what parentification is. Lucky for you in this episode, we're going to talk about it. And I get to do it with the help of an incredible guest. The guest for this episode has been pumping out so much content and has really um, tailored their practice to addressing issues like reverse parenting in their practice. So the guest for this episode is Navneet Gill of Navneet Gill Counseling, and she's been an occupational therapist for 20 plus years and just recently finished her master's and launched her private practice called Navneet Gill Counseling. And she focuses on supporting brown women navigating both cultures, which is something I love. It's right up my alley. And she works with them to find their voice, gain clarity on what fuels the people pleasing and creates the guilt. And that's exactly why I wanted to have this episode done with Navneet because a lot of her practice and a lot of the counseling, um, I guess, like the, the, the solutions that they offer in counseling, um, also relate a lot to like undoing the round girl guilt. And Navneet really strives to help people live life according to their values, to be their authentic selves. And outside of that, she is a mom, she's a wife, and she's a dog mom, and she enjoys baking, cooking, and traveling. And she's also going to lead us through reverse parenting, parentification, just what it is, and how to really let go of it and heal ourselves from it. Hello, Navneet. Welcome to the Brown Girl Guild podcast. Hi, Harpo. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to record this episode with you because um, you are one of the, f I guess not the first, but like literally the only therapist that I've ever seen incorporate something so specific into their practice when it comes to like really supporting brown women and helping them navigate their guilt and the people pleasing, for example. You're one of the only counselors that I've ever seen actually incorporate that into their practice. And so I'm feeling really excited and honestly honored to like have this conversation with you. Oh, I'm the one who's honored. Thank you. I feel like I'm sitting here with a celebrity. Oh my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I love that. Um, can you actually, before we get into this, like, can you maybe speak to like why you tailored your practice specifically to like call those specific things out? Um, normally, like, you know, any any counselors or any sort of private practice will say that they take all sorts of clients, which I'm sure you do. But I think what really brought me to like brought me really close to your practice and the way that you um, sort of show up in the world through your practice is that you specifically speak to those like very nuanced, unique experiences. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, you know, my parents came here back in the seventies, we didn't have any support. We didn't know what mental health was. We didn't know where to go for help. And now as a mom, like I'm going to have, my son turns 21 next, uh, next week. And so now I've been on that side of the, the you know, um, spectrum too. So I really had a passion to help people in our community with mental health. It's not talked about. There's so much stigma around it. Uh, and so I really, really wanted to participate and be a part of that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that, you know, your, your Instagram content is uh, very specific in using the words like brown girl guilt and other things like shame and really speaking to the qualities that so many brown girls actually have, which is this people pleasing and really living for other people, not necessarily living for ourselves. Um, and that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation about reverse parenting slash parentification with you. Um, and I was saying in my intro that for listeners, when they hear this episode, they might like, they might experience like an array of emotions, but one of them, like maybe the main emotion might just be like, wow, like, I can't believe that like the actual system of my family and the way that I have grown up is an actual concept. It's, it's like a universal thing that a lot of people experience. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of excited to like really navigate reverse parenting, parentification, what it is, um, to give people language. Because I think that if we don't have the language for it, we can't really understand it. And if we don't understand it, we can't even try and attempt to really undo it. So before we do all of that, can you actually maybe lead us through what reverse parenting slash parentification actually is? Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, parentification is really a distortion or lack of boundaries. So what happens in the family system is kids sort of take on the roles and responsibilities of their parents or roles and responsibilities that aren't age appropriate. Mm -hmm. So really at the end of the day, it's a lack of healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's when, when children are sort of asked to step into adult roles and they might not necessarily have the knowledge to do so, uh, might not be well equipped. And I mean, quite frankly, like they're not supposed to, right. They're just not supposed to do that. They're supposed to be kids and they're supposed to be children, but then exactly. Yeah. There's that role reversal, um, which is interesting because I mean, we're sort of talking about it as a problem, but now I'm thinking, I'm like, I can totally think about people in my family who are older and of previous generations we're probably like, but that's just how it's always been. Because yes, in a Western context, we can sort of problematize it. But in many, many Eastern cultures, like that's just kind of been the thing to do. Right. And like you said, there was no language for it. There was no name for it. Even me growing up, didn't understand what was going on. I just had the emotions and I didn't know what to do with them. Right. Right. So where did the awareness of this, um, this come from, if you were to sort of like, you know, sort of give us like the background on it? So, uh, you know, there was a Hungarian uh, American psychiatrist by the name of Ivan Nagy, and he actually was one of the founders of family therapy. 
So he's the one who coined this term parentification because mm-hmm. it came up sort of in his clinical practice. He would see this, this role reversal, these kids taking on these roles and responsibilities or coming to see, you know, within that family system. So he's the one who coined the term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I'm thinking now I'm thinking about all the examples of role reversal and the parentification that I've, I've experienced in my life. And some of them vary. Like the examples are really small examples where, you know, they're just like little things that no one really pays attention to. And then mm-hmm. some of the examples are like really, really like, like mind blowing examples because they're, they're big, like they're, they're rooted. They're so deep rooted and they're so spread out wide. Um, uh, there's so many yeah. examples of reverse parenting that I feel like, you know, so many of us just experience all the time, but perhaps we just, like you said, we just don't have an awareness of them. Yes, exactly. So, you know, just to if, name a few of them, some of those deep ones, right? Like as there could be a parent who's suffering from substance abuse or has a medical condition, for example, and the child ends up taking sort of that role of caretaker or parenting their parent, uh, managing the household chores, that sort of thing. You know, as immigrant parents, we, we come, there's a lot of financial hardship, you know, when we're first starting out and parents can't afford babysitting. So what do we see? Sometimes we see the oldest child or oldest cousin sort of take on some of those parental duties, like, you know, caring for the siblings, helping them with homework, those sorts of things, which aren't really age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having to, uh, there's two examples uh, that are, that seem silly and trivial, but they are rooted in this parentification. One of them is that I used to hate when we used to go to drive throughs and um, my mom would make me order in English and I would like <laughs> lean over from the passenger side or from like roll the back window down and then order um, and then sort of have to like, it, it, and it wasn't the act of like placing the order you know, in speaking to the person on the intercom, I think it was more so like, okay, well, you know, because my parent can't speak English, I'm going to be placing the order, but then having the responsibility as a child to like ask everyone, okay, what do you want to eat? And then writing it down Mm -hmm. or making a mental note of it. And then, and then like getting to the intercom and then getting all the orders right and making sure that, you know, I haven't forgotten someone's you know, modification or forgotten someone's special sauce that they wanted and I ordered everybody the right drink and as a kid right like it, it's just I, I mean yes it's just McDonald's but at the end of the day the pressure that I would experience as a kid was not fun yeah the pressure exactly so you know when you mentioned like language barrier that's another one and not even just like I actually had a client I worked with who was Chinese and came in for the same reason, like at eight years old, she's doing tax forms and calling the bank and, you know, dealing with uh, like appointments and, and, and things like that. So yes, the impact is huge. Mm. Yeah. And like, you know, like little things like, like doing, I mean, they're not little, but like doing the taxes, calling the bank for me, it was always writing the check. So when dad was away mm-hmm. at work, he, he was more fluent in English than mom was. So when he was away, I would be the one that would write the checks. And, um, it's terrifying. Like even till this day, I sometimes I joke about it with my friends and I'm like, I'm terrified to write a check. And they're like, why? Mm. And I'm like, because there's such a, there's, there's, there's this like sense of, doing something um, really important and then the gravity of the importance of it. And then maybe like, maybe if I was to write the wrong number or if I was to write it on the wrong line, I would sort of like be creating more trouble and problems. And so even till this day, like those, those, um, those experiences have stayed with me. And, 
even now, like I hate having to think about anything related to a check because it just absolutely terrifies me. Um, and I think like, those are like, those are small examples, but then there's also like the emotional labor that sometimes, you know, kids of immigrants or kids with parents who, um, are not necessarily around enough sort of go through. Um, can you talk to me about the difference between like, maybe like the more, like those smaller tedious tasks versus like the bigger, like emotional things that they might have to do? Yeah. So in therapy, this, this is very normal, Harpo. Like it's, it's a trigger. So this check writing is a trigger for you because there's been some trauma there. Mm -hmm. So there's been right. Some association of, Oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, this is huge. Oh, can I handle this? You know, can I do it? So naturally when it comes up for you, it's, it's very, it's actually very normal. And we see that often in therapy. It's actually a trigger for people. Mm-hmm. And it sort of triggers that trauma and triggers those emotions again. Because you live with it. You just, um, and because you didn't have the understanding as a child to know that like maybe, like I feel like the reason that I get so triggered is because I've internalized it. I've internalized it in a way where I think to myself, um, you know, I'm maybe not good enough to actually do this. When in theory, it's not that I'm not good enough to do it. It's just that I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to do it at all. Right? Yes, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that pressure of, yeah, exactly. Right. It wasn't age appropriate. And now I've taken this on and, oh my God, if I mess it up and, oh my God, my family will be affected. Right. All that, like we, especially as girls live with that, we take a lot of that on making (laughs) sure that everything's okay and it's done the right way and people are okay. We've been conditioned in our culture and in that whole collectivist perspective to take on other people's emotions and fix things for people and be the caretaker. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So talk to me about the difference between like instrumental parentification and then emotional parentification. Yeah. So, so Dr. Nagy, uh, basically he named the two types. So when we talk about instrumental, that's more of that task based than the physical doing. So caretaking, cooking, cleaning, those task type stuff. And the emotional uh, parentification, that is where, you know, we become the confidant for our parents or we listen to our parents' problems. We provide emotional support for them, you know, um, giving them advice or just like, in essence, like being a therapist for them. Mm -hmm. So that's that emotional piece and that deeper piece that you talked about. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you sort of uh, describe those two, I'm thinking to myself, so like, which one have I had, which one have I experienced the most instrumental or emotional? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even actually differentiate between them. It just feels like I've, I've done an equal amount of both of them. And that's because in my house, um, you know, I, I very much play an adult role and I always have, whether I was five Mm -hmm. or 10 and now at 25, I've always played such an adult role. And, you know, I think in the past, like I used to think that it was just normal um, and but still still uh, knowing deep down that there was something wrong about it mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know but then but then I would get told like oh you know you're so mature for your age and all these kinds of things and I used to take that as a compliment but then it wasn't until I, I became older I realized okay like I was doing a lot and I still am like I think that there's a lot of emotional labor that I'm still doing um, for my parents. And I think like the one thing that we don't necessarily get to talk about, I mean, yes, it's like fun and fun and games. And we joke about it. Like there's so many Twitter threads about that instrumental piece of the parentification. But I think for the emotional parentification element, it's sort of like feeling your parents' feelings for them. And I, 
I feel like I've always done that. And I still continue to do that now where I'm constantly feeling like I'm checking in on everyone's emotions, but my own and just making sure that there's balance um, in the family. And that, you know, like, I, I feel like ever since I was a kid, I've just been putting out all the fires. And, uh, and it wasn't my it wasn't my job, you know, yeah, absolutely. We're juggling, we're juggling these emotions, making sure everybody's okay. And that is a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. And you're right. So that emotional piece, it, it, they do go hand in hand, the instrumental, because that leads to a lot of emotions too, right? There's right. a lot of, resi- sometimes, um, you know, pe- parents, parents may do it, they're thinking, you know, in terms of like disciplinary or building resilience. But the thing is, the kids shouldn't be experiencing or having that need for that resiliency at that age when it's not age appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as you're saying that, like, and as I'm also reflecting on my experience with parentification, I am mm-hmm. experiencing guilt, even as I'm saying it out loud, because I think that, you know, in terms of where I'm at in my journey and in my relationship with my parents, I can absolutely understand the reasons and the social conditions that sort of created the reverse parenting, the parentification. And so I feel a lot of guilt as well in, in sort of um, like labeling what happened. And I feel guilt in uh, problematizing it because I think to myself, well, my parents, they were immigrants. They didn't necessarily understand the language. They were working within systems that they didn't know. And then to speak to the sort of intergenerational trauma and intergenerational, Mm -hmm. like, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, perhaps they couldn't be the kinds of parents with the, with the checklist of parenting that I had. And just because their checklist was different and mine was different, um, we, I experienced parentification. And so I'm feeling guilt for even, um, for even trying to problematize it. Right. And that, you know, that still speaks to that whole collectivist perspective, right. In terms of um, taking on the emotions, because at the end of the day, no one individual can be responsible for the emotions of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that's just that it it can't be done. It can't be expected. It's too much, but yet we've put this on our plates, right? It's been put on us, especially as the oldest child or the oldest girl takes a lot of that on. And then, like you said, it leads to the people pleasing. The people pleasing then leads to that brown girl guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you walked right into what I wanted to sort of um, speak about next is that mm-hmm. the gendered aspect, the gendered aspect of their parentification. Um, and to ask you, like, specifically, as it relates to brown girls, you know, mm-hmm. what factors do you think contribute to the commonality of reverse parenting amongst brown girls and women, maybe perhaps more so than um, the, the, to their like, uh, male counterparts? Yeah. So, you know, like as girls or as daughters, yes, we take on that sort of taking care of our siblings, taking care of mom and dad, taking care of grandma, grandpa. So it starts from there. It starts from there. And then the impact of that is just, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So factors, you know, managing the emotions of others, expecting, you know, someone to be somebody's caretaker, taking on that stress. That's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really common, especially in our culture. And basically, at the end of the day, kids miss out on their childhood. They miss mm-hmm. out on being carefree, playful, and just doing kid things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 
And I think the gendered aspect is like girls from a very young age are told that, you know, we're the ones who are understanding and we're sort of um, put into this nurturing, uh, like, like this really sensitive nurturing role. And it's sort of like our job, right? Like we're expected to sort of take care of everybody at home because our role is uh, a caretaker, right? And so we are, are, the expectations of the kind of um, adult role uh, that we'll we'll get thrown into is quite different than that of like our male counterparts. And I and I know this because when I I look back at the dynamic in my family, um, you know, yes, my brother is a lot younger than I am, but the expectations of him and the sort of like expectations of him as a as a leader in the family, as a problem solver, um, as like someone who can speak to like the um, emotions of people or like, you know, like making like the really, the, the important decisions of the family, he just hasn't been granted the same sort of, um, responsibility as I have been since I was a kid. And sometimes, you know, like, even though he's 17, sometimes things will come up and, you know, um, I'll, I'll ask my parents to sort of expect something of him and they'll say, mm-hmm. well, he's a kid. And I said, but I wasn't, you know, I, I've been doing this longer than he has, you know, and I was, right. I was, I was a kid. I was a kid too. Exactly. As soon as you said that, I got a flashback of, I think I was six or seven years old and after school, taking care of my brother, nobody else Mm -hmm. was home, you know, and like giving him a snack or whatever it was. And it was like, oh my God, like I was a kid too. Yeah. Yes. Girls are expected. You know, there's that, there is that difference. We take on the emotional baggage, which isn't expected of boys because we're supposed to take theirs on too. Mm-hmm. I like actually did protected. Re- right. And I did actually read that um, parentification and reverse parenting actually doesn't have to happen just with your parents. It can happen with your siblings mm-hmm. as well, which Absolutely. makes sense. Right? We joke about this third parent situation, mm-hmm. whether you're, whether you're, you know, a, your brother or your sister, but third parent is also a very real phenomena of parentification as well, because you're stepping into a parent role when you didn't actually sign up to be in one. Uh, yes, like I've got friends who used to have to take their little siblings to, to soccer and they're filling out the forms and they're buying their school supplies and, you know, they're going to parent teacher interviews, you know, when especially when there's that little bit bigger of a, a age gap difference. It's huge. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, you know, in, in your experience as a therapist, um, what are the, like the psychological implications and like the psychological effects of mm-hmm. parentification on a child as as they're a child right like what are the mm-hmm. what are the symptoms then but then I guess like the long-term effects as well yeah so and this is was you know like when you talked about my niche this this really fueled me wanting to sort of that east meets west is my niche and what I'm seeing now is you know girls struggling to develop trust with others sometimes they end up in unhealthy relationships Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because they haven't sort of had that role modeling or of what healthy means and what healthy is, you know, when you just sort of get dumped here, do this, you know, or you're expected to do this or you figure it out. Now it's difficult for them to sort of build these healthy relationships at times Mm -hmm. and they can get into some unhealthy ones. Yeah. That whole, I'm not enough. I don't belong. Mm-hmm. That we yeah we see lack of praise, feeling insecure, unsafe. So these are you know even health ailments, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, 
all of that is, you know, pretty prevalent too in our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it also, I mean, this entire season at Brown Girl Guilt, we've been talking a lot about how Brown Girl Guilt is a very disempowering and disembodying experience. I think parentification and reverse parenting is also a very disempowering and disembodying experience because you're so used to putting the needs of everybody else first, right? Everyone else is important. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the tasks of the house, like whether it's the chores or, you know, putting like I, for example, like, you know, taking my grandparents to their appointments, you know, taking care of my parents, taking care of my brother for such a long time. It was always like those things were more important than my own needs. And, and, in in like in the example that you shared like sometimes we carry those things into even our non-familial relationships where you know mm-hmm. uh, because i was doing that at home i was starting to do that in my relationships outside of the house like in friendships mm-hmm. i was always putting myself second um and then in romantic relationships it was always about the other person and not nearly enough as a, a, about my own needs so that kept, that kept getting replicated as well yeah oh i i remember someone saying to me like you know and it's like oh but you know what actually yeah I am because I'm like caretaker and for all I gotta figure it out for everybody I gotta be there for everybody I gotta help everybody I gotta solve it for everyone you know I can never say no I can never say what I need so Mm -hmm. yeah I feel mm-hmm. like a, a baby sometimes. Yeah, actually, there's right? an episode that's Brown Girl Guilt episode. It's called Stop Being a Baby. It's because of that, right? Like we're, yeah. we're really pushed into this hyper independent state uh, because that's what you that's what you become. You become hyper independent mm-hmm. when you're a child thrown into this parent role. Um, and then when you start to exercise that independence in ways that start to suit you or start to actually benefit you, that's when you're sort of shut back down. And I think like, you know, you talked about this earlier about how at, at the root parentification is a lack of healthy boundaries. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I will say that, like, sometimes I find myself um, doing things or saying things and I'm, op- I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've embraced vulnerability, so I don't, I don't have any shame in saying this here, but, you know, I found myself sometimes speaking to my parents in a certain way or um, really taking up a lot of room and space. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's disrespectful. Like sometimes the way I speak to my parents is disrespectful. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason that I just, the way that I justify it in my mind, and I'm not saying this is okay, but the way that I justify it in my mind is, well, you know what? You put me in this position, put me in this role. And we've never had boundaries before. We've never had a a parent-child relationship before. So why now when it's inconvenient for you? Like, why should I have to tone my voice down? Why should I not get to step in here when I've sort of been asked to before? And I, I'm very guilty about it because I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. I should have spoken that way. But it's really hard because like, when am I supposed to be a child now? Like all of a sudden I'm supposed to be a child now. Exactly. So you know what? And, and, and that, ang- that anger, that's very real because it's like, damn, no, I earned it. Now Mm -hmm. I've earned my right to, you know, use my voice, say something because I've taken on this role ever since I was five or six or, you know, whatever years old. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now now it's almost like I am an equal now. Right. 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 I'm not, I'm not the kid anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, I always feel like I'm the, I'm, I'm a different person at home than I am with the rest of the world. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes my family's like, we don't get how you're this person to other people because you're not like this with us. And that's true. I mean, they're not wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's because of the social conditions. It's because of the conditions in which I grew up, the role that I had to play as a child. And, you know, I'm not saying it's all bad because it really did make me the fantastic leader that I am. And it did make me the empathetic and compassionate human being that I am as well. But there's definitely Mm -hmm. been a lot of side effects, psychological and, you know, mental, spiritual, physical, um, that I feel like I've just sort of been left on my own to really, um, to really, to really process and to heal. Yeah, absolutely. So you said it beautifully there. You know, there's a need for balance. So it's not that we're not, we don't want to teach our kids responsibility. We don't want to, um, you know, we want them to be caring. We want them to be empathetic to others, but it should not be a role reversal, right? Mm-hmm. They still need to be kids and parents need to parent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how do we heal? So if, if you know, like for the reality is that, and I'm sure you see this in your practice and I say this to my therapist all the time as, as well, mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm going to, mm-hmm. they're going to be my parents forever. And I am who I am now. You know, I've gone through 25 years of this. So, but how do we start to heal and undo the adverse effects of the reverse parenting, of the parentification? And how can we start to like really, undo the impact of having stepped into that adult role as a child I mean we're not going to get our childhood back it's been robbed from us essentially Mm -hmm. but what can Mm -hmm. we do now in the here and now and moving forward yeah so that's the work um, you know in therapy because we're really sort of working on healing that inner child right healing that little five-year-old six-year-old Harpo who's yes now 25 and has taken on the world but that little vulnerable five-year-old still needs protection, still needs to be told that she's okay and she's going to be okay and that you're there for her. So that is um, part of what we do in therapy. And there's no cookie cutter approach because for some people, there's a lot of grief work. For some people, there's you know that whole piece of forgiveness. And we can't just use a one-size-fits-all approach. So that's mm-hmm. why therapy would be very individualized for the person depending on how it's affected them because we could have gone through the same experience but not necessarily that the impact is the same Mm -hmm. right so everyone has to sort of do their own work to heal and we start by realizing that you're right it's not a blame game we're not going to get our childhood back but at the same time the responsibility of healing falls on us Mm-hmm. What happened to us isn't our fault. We can't take that responsibility, but the responsibility to heal is ours. Mm-hmm. And if if the root cause of parentification is in that lack of healthy boundaries, then perhaps the um, the the um, solution is to start and form healthy boundaries, right, with ourselves, with other people, with the. I was going to use the word perpetrators. <laughs> Our parents yeah. are, yeah. I mean, Navneet just said we're not playing the blame game, so they're not the perpetrators. But, you know, quote unquote perpetrators, yes. building healthy boundaries, right? Like, and, and at first, like setting those boundaries, like sucks. Like it's sometimes really hard. Um, and there you can feel a lot of guilt. But, 
you know, it really does come down to setting those boundaries because before there was just such a blurring of them. And so now it's like to set those boundaries around, um, you know, like, like, like a a beautiful white picket fence around your, your own sanity and your own health Mm -hmm. and your own wellness to say like, this is what I'm going to, this is what I allow on this side of the fence. And this is what I don't allow is also probably a, a, a solution, right? Absolutely. But setting boundaries, Harpo, it almost comes at the end of therapy because what we have to deal with the people pleasing, we have to deal with the guilt. We have to learn that we are not responsible for the emotions of others. We cannot be responsible for how they're going to react. Right. So when I set a boundary, I've set the boundary. My job is to enforce it and make it known that, hey, these are my limits. But how somebody else reacts to it, whether it be mom, dad, whoever, mm-hmm. how they're going to react is not my issue, right? But we have to work through the guilt of that in order to be able to set that boundary, mm-hmm. right? To say set healthy boundaries. But how do we do it? We got to work through all this brown girl guilt, man. Yeah, before we're able to do that. What do you, and then, you know, this is just something that I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm really curious about is, what do you say to people who, you know, feel hopeless in sort of changing this, like in hopeless in changing their, their reality, their environment. Like I mentioned, like there's so many Brown kids, especially Brown girls. Mm-hmm. Like we don't leave our houses until we get married. Right. We don't, we just don't move right. out. And if we do, that's an entire other battle that we have to really decide if we want to sign up for. So mm-hmm. if there's anyone that feels like hopeless, what would you say to them? So again, we can't, yeah, you're right, that we may not be able to change the situation in terms of fixing or changing our parents or making somebody change their ways, but how we react and how we process that, that can be ours to, to learn and work on. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend um, named Dora Kamau, who I talk about often. She's a meditation artist who's out of LA now. And something mm-hmm. that I learned from her is that our respondability is our responsibility, right? That yes, the way that exactly. we respond, yeah, the way that we respond to people and things and situations and our emotions is our responsibility. But everything mm-hmm. else that has been told to us, this is your responsibility, we can actually question, right? We can get curious about, but our respondability is our responsibility. And the way that we now get to move forward and respond to the to the adverse effects of parentification mm-hmm. is our responsibility. Exactly. How we work on not internalizing it. How do we work on not taking on that responsibility? Right. Yeah. And how I react, right? So, oh, there's mom, you, you know, yammering about dad. Okay. And I now I can just brush it off and not have to take it on and try to solve it for my mom and be her therapist. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, like there's been Mm -hmm. so many times where actually something has happened and I'm about to step in and then I pause and I think, Mm -hmm. do I need to step in? Do I like, Mm -hmm. do I need to like, will things work out on their own if I don't? And even Mm -hmm. that simple act, because I mean, so often we were the adult in the room, even when we when even when there were adults in the room. And so now deciding and, and really allowing the, the people in our lives to, um, to like take ownership, like to really also exercise their own, um, like, like people, people can figure it out is what I always think to myself. Now it's like that person will figure it out. They're, they're just as, uh, creative and, 
um, they're just as uh, you know, equipped enough to find their own <laughs> solutions. It might not be the same solution that I would have offered, but they'll find their own solution. And I don't need to step in. You know, I don't need to be the parent in this environment right here. I love this, Harpo. So right there, you first of all have set a boundary. Second of all, there's a, a, a depression expert, Dr. Yapko, and he says it is our job to train people how to treat us. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So right there by you not stepping in mom and dad got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So a, you've established the boundary. Second of all, now you've left them to try and be resilient to figure it out instead of being the mediator and jumping in. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. Look at that guys. <laughs> I figured yeah, it out. You're I training them awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Namneet, for having this conversation with me. Um, it's a conversation that I've been really wanting to have for a very long time because I think it's um, it's language, it's a vocabulary that I would love mm -hmm. more brown kids to have. Honestly, I think that we we've you know we've been living this life for so long for so many generations. And I think that yeah. it's about time that we get we get the language. And again, like not to put any blame on our parents because mm -hmm. they also were operating in ways that they only knew, right? And and most of our parents yeah. were also like victims of reverse parenting and parentification as well. But because Absolutely. it was set in a yeah set in a different country or time zone, they, they they just thought that that's just the way it is. And so the way that they were parented is also the way that they parented. Um, so yeah. this is not to blame them, but is this just for us to like really? you know, heal and transform ourselves so that we can heal the generations before us and the generations after us. Exactly. Yeah. So I, even now I catch myself, I'm like, oh, no, you can't say that. Like if I'm thinking about something to my son, you know, like, oh no, that, my mom used to say that I can't say that now. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it, but it's such a habit and that's just right. it. Having conversation, having language and doing our work overall, we can change as a society. Definitely. Absolutely. And so, you know, Navneet is based in Alberta, but, you know, and so if you're in Alberta, you can always go and see Navneet and her practice, um, you know, in person. But if you're not in Alberta, you can always uh, check out Navneet's Instagram. Um, at, it's uh, at Navneet Gill Counseling and her website, Navneet Gill Counseling, if you felt particularly connected to her um, or you wanted to further explore um, and connect with your inner child, you can absolutely do any of those things. Is there anything that you wanted to say, Navneet, before we wrap up? No. Uh, so anyone who is not, uh, you know, who's sort of losing hope or not uh, feeling hopeful, there is, there is hope. There's work to be done on all sides once we can sort of put that blame away. So don't be afraid to reach out. And Harpo, it's been such an honor, my dear, such an honor to oh, be on thank your program. You so much. Yeah. I love oh, what you're doing you. in the world and you're going to go far. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate that.